Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. What a blessing it is to be here with you today and a happy September to you all. My goodness, how can it be September already? Before you know it, the wind will catch that chill. It'll be Christmas time. The winter will be here. You may not be as excited about this as I am. I recognize that, but fall is upon us and time moves quickly. Yet, with the Lord as our God, we know that he rules over all things, even the passage of time. So great to be here with you all this morning, whether you're here for the thousandth time or the first time, or maybe you are joining us online. And yes, I've moved the camera. I, I hope it works well from that angle so you're not right on the side of my face anymore. Uh, but I welcome you also. If you're here today visiting for the first time, if we have not met, I'll be right out that set of doors over there underneath the portico, and I would love to meet you. Now, we are here to worship, and worship we shall, but first let me make a few announcements. I've got lots, so I'm going to try to be quick. Number one, thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone. What a wonderful week we had this past week. What a blessing um, that we had special services, homecoming this past Sunday. The Lord has blessed us with excellent turnouts and what marvelous speakers. Wow, such a blessing to have Mr. Alex Pettit and Reverend Lee Shellnut with us. Looks like we are having technical difficulties and that's okay. Just shut the whole thing down. This must be a very important sermon for the devil to do this kind of thing. And no, I'm not one of these guys that says Satan is in every light bulb. However, y'all, it was working fine just a few minutes ago. And, yeah, and no, this has nothing to do with my wife being the one at the computer or anything like that. Um, she is better at that than I am. But nevertheless, uh, again, what a blessing we had last week with special services with homecoming. Thank you to everyone who worked so hard to pull everything off, especially you ladies who worked so hard to pull off our meal and our ice cream social. Um, if you missed that time with us, you really missed out. But Lord willing, we'll do it again next year. Thank you also to everyone who hosted us for lunch, especially um, those uh, whether it was at restaurants, whether it was in homes, that was really a great time of fellowship. So thank you. Number two, announcement number two, and it's a big one. Be aware of the church calendar, okay? Be aware of what's going on in your bulletin. It's fall, so there's lots of things going on, such as the fact that next week is rally day. We will not be having Sabbath school, but instead we'll enjoy some games out on the lawn, and then we'll have a Sunday school picnic. Christian education is going to provide the meat, but we ask that you bring sides or desserts, and that is one week from today, normal time. Now, the Christian Education Committee is also meeting Tuesday night at 6.30, but really, y'all be here next week, and parents, make sure your children are here. It's going to be a great time. Also, youth group starts back one week from today at 5.30. Little Lamb starts back on the 18th. It's hard to believe, but it's time also to begin officer election process. That's in your bulletin. Next week, we're going to be handing out nomination forms, so be praying over that. And then two weeks from today, all right, hear me on this, two weeks from today, we have a called congregational meeting. It will be very brief, but that's so you can submit those forms to us. Now, other things. Um, if you want daily devotionals on CD, see me. I, I didn't make copies, but if you want them, talk to me and I will get you a copy. There's a Friday fellowship this week. I think Joan just walked in. If you want to come see Joan or if you have information or, or want information, please see her. Um, let me see. Other things. Oh, yes. It's not this Friday. It's next Friday, the 16th. Okay, thank you. That is, see, that's very important information. Very good. All right, today there are envelopes available also as we're taking up uh, an offering for Kentucky Disaster Relief. Now, um, there's a lot of other things going on, way too many for me to mention, but you will find them in your bulletin. Now, that being said, I'll leave it to you to find those things. Again, Welcome to Old Providence. What a blessing God has given us in giving us this time to be here. So let's prepare our hearts for worship as Donna leads us in the prayer.
Thank you very much, Don. Our call to worship this morning is a song that may be very, very familiar to you. In fact, I think that we could probably just say it together if we tried, and we may not even have to try that hard, but it's probably the most familiar passage in all of God's Word. And it's the 23rd Psalm, and it simply says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My friends, God's word contains so many references to God's promises, so many things that God has said he has done for us, things that he will yet do for us. But it is perhaps the 23rd Psalm that so carefully and lovingly points us to what our real relationship with God is, and that is that on our own, We cannot care for ourselves, but instead, by God's grace and mercy, he provides for us in every way, leading us, guiding us, preserving us. And the fact that you are here today is evidence of these things. The Lord has provided for you in bringing you here. And he has brought us all here together so that we would worship him. So let us now go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed as we begin this time. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is to have this time together. We pray that you would guide us in it, that the the songs that we lift up, that the prayers that we pray, that in our time as we go to your word and study your word, we pray that all of these would glorify you, that your name would be lifted up and proclaimed, and at the same time, By your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would guide us, that you would fill us with your spirit so that we would see that which you would have us to see from your word, so that we would enjoy the unfathomable, the unsearchable, the incalculable riches of Jesus Christ. We won't do any of these without your Holy Spirit, so please guide us now in this time. We pray these things in Christ's name, and we also pray as he taught us to pray, by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you. Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. And now, now that our technology, I believe, is working, let's see here. It is working. Fantastic. Let's stand together and take our hymnals and sing number 21. And now the words are on the screen as we sing Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Please stand with me as we sing.
seated. Children, come on down and join me up front. do we have this morning? I see. Why don't y'all sit down right there? That's better. Right over here, guys. Come on. Up. Plenty of room. Over here, buddy. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Oh, that's a nice good morning. I got here. How's everybody doing today? Doing good. All right. I hope that everybody's had a good week and happy September to you guys as well. Before we know it, it's going to be Christmas time, right? I hope you're as excited as I am. Now, who remembers what we've been talking about on Sunday morning? Come on down, sweetheart. Right down front here. There's plenty of room. And plenty of room for you too, Julie. Come on. That's okay. It's a scary time. So. <laughs> I recognize. Come on, Charlie. That's okay. Yep, it's scary to come up front with the bald guy in the black robe. That's okay. Now, who remembers what we've been talking about on Sunday morning in our children's sermons? Anybody remember? Can I give you a hint? Yes, you're right. Yeah, we've been talking about prayer. Prayer is so important, and there's for lots of different reasons for that. But a long, not a long time ago, several weeks ago, somebody asked me, how do we know God? And we talked about how one of the ways that we know God is by going to Him in prayer, right? Listen to what the Bible says about prayer. It says in Ephesians 6, 18, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. But y'all, sometimes it can be difficult to know what we should pray for. And that's what we've been focusing on lately in our children's sermons time, right? We said that a good way to remember what to pray for can be seen with what we do with our hands when we pray, right? What do we do when we pray? We fold our hands, right? Because sometimes, if you're like me, you can get fidgety, right? And our hands can lead us to focus on other things. And instead... We need to be focused on the Lord because prayer is important. But when we fold our hands, it's our fingers that can help us remember the things that we ought to pray for. When we fold our hands, what comes first? Our thumbs, right? And remember, when we look at our thumbs when we pray, we can remember because our thumbs are closest to us that we should pray for those people that are closest to us, right? Our friends, our family, people like that. What comes next? The pointer finger, right? Can help us to remember to pray for those who point us in the direction we should go, right? People that give us directions, people like our teachers, like our parents. I hope that you all will remember to pray for me. Now, next comes this finger, the tall man. See, it's it's taller than any of our other fingers. And the tall man can help us to remember to pray for those who are over us, for those who are in authority over us, people like uh, those that are in the government, right? Our president, our governor, our representatives. You can pray for your teacher. You can pray for the principal in your school. And I hope, again, you'll pray for me as your pastor and for the elders here. But what comes next? You know what this finger's called? give you a hint. What's that? Yeah, it's the ring finger, right? Now, the ring finger, we call it that because that's usually the finger that we wear our wedding rings on. That's my wedding ring. But you know something interesting about the ring finger? Of all your fingers, it's the weakest. Did you know that? It's not nearly as strong as your pinkies, not nearly as strong as your thumbs or your pointers or your palm. No, it's the weakest of all of our fingers. And because of that, when we fold our hands to pray, we can look at our ring fingers, our weakest fingers, and we can remember to pray for those around us who are weak, those around us who are struggling. This morning I mentioned that we're taking up an offering for people that were part of this bad storm in Kentucky. We can remember to pray for them because a lot of them don't have homes right now or they can't go back to their homes. We can pray for people that are struggling. Sometimes people get sick and they have to go to the hospital. Sometimes people face all sorts of problems, and it makes them weak. 
We can pray for people who are in trouble, right? People like in the Ukraine and in other parts of the world where it's very dangerous to live. You know, the Bible tells us that God looks on the poor and the afflicted, that God looks on the weak people of the world and he has compassion on them. I mean, remember all those fingers and remember to pray for those who are weak and struggling. Let me pray for you. Our Father, I thank you for these children. I pray that you would bless them. And as they pray, help them to remember to pray for those who are struggling. And when they struggle, help them remember that they can come to you if they're sick, if they're, if they're hurting, if they feel lonely or afraid, that you're always there. And help the rest of us to remember that too. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all can go now. The children's church if you want to go to the children's church. All righty, as they are being dismissed... Watch out, those steps are tricky right there. As they are being dismissed, let you and I go to our Lord in silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in the pastoral prayer. Let's go to him now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, we have so much to be grateful for. We have so much to praise you for. For as we consider the words that we have lifted up in song, as we consider your word, which we have already read this morning, both point to the fact that on our own, we're in big trouble. On our own, our focus becomes so tight, so restrictive that, well, we can walk right into danger and not even see it. Our focus can become so trained on ourselves that we miss what's going on in the world around us. As your word says, we are like sheep and we need a shepherd. And you are the good shepherd. You have provided for us in every way, even bringing us here. As we consider the promises of your word, you have made all of these to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, we do not deserve such favor. We have done nothing to merit or to earn your grace. Instead, you give it to us and all out of love. In light of these things, Father, may we be people characterized by love. You have shown us mercy beyond compare, so let us be people that are characterized by mercy. You have poured out your grace on us. So in turn, let us be ready to give the reason for our hope, and let us show that grace to others. We face many obstacles in these things, certainly the nature of the world around us, the difficulties that we face, and, and we know that there are many that are struggling. Physically speaking, we pray for those that are facing COVID right now. We ask that you would bring them healing. It is really going around. We ask also that you would protect those of us who don't have it. But Father, please bring restoration. And yet there are other sorts of medical problems that people face, surgeries, uh, conditions that they face for some time. Please come to their aid. Yeah, we know our struggles are not limited to the physical. We face spiritual, emotional struggles. Please bring refreshment and encouragement and a sense of your presence. Yet, yeah, Father, these struggles that we face, whether physical or emotional or whatever, that they are hindrances to our being ready, hindrances to our, uh, our willingness even, often enough to share the glory of Jesus Christ. So would you please take these away? And as we consider the riches of Jesus, let us be ready. Let us be poised and looking for the opportunities that you provide us every day to testify to your greatness. Those opportunities start with ourselves. 
preaching the gospel to ourselves, remembering just what you've done for us, and in turn, spreading the love of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us do that here in Old Providence, but we pray that you would do that for your church at large, your church around the world, these brothers and sisters in Christ that we don't even know, but that we are linked to in Jesus Christ. For those that are in harm's way, we pray that you would protect them. For those that have to count the cost to be your disciples, we pray that you would bless them in a mighty way. And Father, as it relates to those Christians who are being sacrificed, who offer themselves up for the sake of your gospel, we pray that you would bless them with riches upon riches, their family, the, the work of their hands, for we know the harvest is plentiful. We pray that many, many more would come to know you. Father, as we consider those Christians in harm's way, we pray for the world around us. So lost, struggling, striving in darkness, following one path or another that pledges to provide truth, that, that pledges to provide fulfillment, joy, love, and yet come up short again and again. May the world see that Jesus Christ really and truly is the answer. That there is only fulfillment and newness of life in him. And again, Father, help us to see where we fit into these things. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much, choir. What a great reminder. I hope that is your desire 
that the Lord would lead you like your shepherd. And that's a poignant uh, timing for, for, for the piece that y'all have chosen to offer today. It certainly corresponds with where we are. And where are we? Well, again, it's September. How in the world could that be with time flying like it is? Just three weeks ago, marked my fifth anniversary with you all here at Old Providence. You've been such a blessing, but I gotta tell you, I've learned a lot of things in these five years with you. Being a son of the South, but in South Carolina, little did I know when I moved here how different culture would be in the valley. Um, I didn't definitely didn't know how different the weather would be, and wonderfully so. We love that. Uh, I've had so many excellent opportunities to learn and to listen and, and, and to watch. And I've observed some things, and I've learned about several subjects that I previously had little to no experience with. And one of those subjects is livestock. I, my, my grandfather, <coughs> excuse me, my grandfather had lots of horses when I was growing up. But as somebody said here, horses usually don't work for a living, right? So it's a different paradigm altogether between a horse that you might ride for pleasure or trade and, and something that's going to end up on somebody's plate one day, right? Uh, I've learned a lot about cows and chickens and turkeys. But especially, I've learned a lot about sheep. Yes, a lot about sheep. Some of you may know this, but right behind the manse, um, there's a large pasture with, I don't know, anywhere from 50 to 75 sheep. And, and that's a picture. I actually took that picture yesterday from the back porch at the manse. It, it, I don't know how many sheep there are. I've tried counting them. But interestingly enough, it's hard to count sheep, right? They blend in. It kind of makes you sleepy when you count sheep. I found that out too. It's amazing. I, see, I never knew that. But we've learned a lot from watching those sheep. The last time we were together, and by the way, if this is your first time with us or you've forgotten our current series, we are currently making our way through the seven I am statements of Jesus, wherein he simultaneously reveals his identity as God in the flesh, God the Son. And at the same time, he really teaches us so much about who he is and what he does. But the last time we were together, we were in John chapter 10, and we covered the I am statement where Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. And it's in that passage that Jesus said in John 10, 4, that the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And that's true. That's something else we've learned. I, I referenced this two weeks ago when I preached last for you, right? Uh, you'd think that after five years of living with those sheep right behind our house, that they would know our voice at this point, or that they'd at least pay attention when we try to have a civilized conversation with them at the fence. But surprisingly enough, they don't. Why? Because we don't care for those sheep. That doesn't mean we don't like them. It means that we don't provide sustenance for them. We don't feed them. We don't make sure that they have clean water and so forth. Now, when our neighbor who owns the sheep comes out and calls them, it's a different story. They don't just walk. They run to the shepherd's voice. That probably has something to do with them being fed, but nevertheless, they know their shepherd. They don't know us. And certainly there's other things that we've learned about the sheep, and there's some fascinating things that we've observed, like how sometimes the sheep are very cautious, very wary. But then at other times, it's as if they're not thinking twice about things, right? When we first moved to our house, and again, this is this is the backyard there. When we first moved into the manse, uh, which you might have heard the term parsonage before. That's what Baptists call it, uh, different names for different churches. It's the church that you own that you let us live in, right? But when we first moved in there, the, the pasture beside us, right? If you're looking at the manse to the right of us. It was so overgrown. It was for sale when we first came here. Our neighbors ended up buying it and redeemed that pasture land, but nobody was taking care of it. And y'all know what will happen to pasture land if you don't do anything with it, right? Uh, the grass shot up. There were trees everywhere, thistles like you wouldn't believe. And it turns out that that parcel of land was like a super network for coyotes. And the first several months that we lived in the manse, would, uh, I, I got to tell you, it was really shocking. There were several times, I don't remember how many precisely, they would usually be a few weeks apart, but we'd come out in the morning. We always look at the sheep in the morning because our breakfast table is, is right there on the back side of the house. But we'd look out and you'd see a sheep lying down and very clearly that sheep was dead. It was just laying there, not moving. It was usually pretty mangled up. Those coyotes would come on a regular basis. They ended up buying that piece of pasture land and, and they got rid of all the trees and everything. That did a lot of help. Also, they ended up putting in some different fencing and that helped too. But the amazing thing was, in the midst of this death and carnage, 
You would think, oh, the sheep would be very wary of this. No. The sheep eventually got to the point where they would just graze right up to their fallen flock mate. As if nothing had happened. And certainly we observed all sorts of other habits and tendencies. But overall, we have observed the importance of those sheep being protected. But even more so, we've observed the importance of those sheep having a shepherd. Having someone to care for them, to watch over them, to ensure they have clean water, healthy grass, eat medicine when they need it, and so forth. And the reason this is so important is that sheep don't take care of themselves. Now, there are some of you here that have sheep, and you would probably give a hearty amen to that, as I've heard about when lambing season comes, and you're in the barn in the middle of the night, and all those sorts of things. But it's true. Sheep don't take care of themselves. Why? Because sheep need a shepherd. And it's with this concept in mind that we come to our passage today. As I've already alluded to, the, the last portion of scripture that we found ourselves in was John chapter 10. And we're right back there today. So, so you can take your Bibles and turn there with me. Gospel according to John chapter 10. That we're picking up right where we left off. After Jesus had said of himself, I am the gate for the sheep. After Jesus pointed to both his exclusivity, right? That he's the only gate. There is no other. Saying that if you want to be one of the Lord's sheep, you have to enter through him. But he also pointed to the fact that he protects the sheep. That anyone who claims to enter the fold by means other than the gate is a thief, a liar, a fraud. Translated, that means anybody who teaches that salvation comes from anything besides Jesus. You know, Lee said it. It's one of the things we pastors in the ARP like to say. Jesus plus fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what you put in the blank. It's wrong. Salvation comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. And what Jesus is saying here about him being the gate ultimately is anybody that would tell you salvation comes from anyone but him is one of those liars, thieves, a fraud. They don't love Jesus. They don't love you. Okay? Salvation is from Jesus alone. And it's important that Jesus offers such teaching and warnings because he's speaking to a mixed group of people. Some of the people believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Some of the people are, are Pharisees, and then particularly, not only do they not believe who Jesus is, they want to catch him in a trap. They want to ruin his reputation. And ultimately, they want to kill Jesus. So he's talking to this mixed crowd of believers and non-believers and what he's about to say next is so very important to both. So John chapter 10, we're going to start reading in verse 11. But before we read anything, let's go to our Lord because we need his help. <clears throat> our God and our Father, please be with us now. As we come to your word in this next I am statement wherein your son reveals his identity as God the Son, divine, you there in the flesh. As he, as he does this. He also gives some difficult teachings. Not difficult to understand, but often enough difficult to accept. The glamour of the world around us, it's, it's tempting teachings. They can stick to us. We can see the world through the world's eyes instead of through your eyes. Burn all of that stuff away now, please, Father, by your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand what your word says, but also how your word applies to us. We won't do this without you. So please guide us now by your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, John chapter 10, we're going to start reading in verse 11. So John 10, 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, and this is Jesus speaking. Jesus said, I am... The good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life 
so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is a demon possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Well, let's go ahead and state the obvious, right? The next of the seven I am statements is right there at the start. It's right there in verse 11. And then Jesus says it again in verse 14. And what is that statement? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now, I'm not going to go back over the I am business, right? If you want those sermons, you can find them on sermonaudio.com. Let me know. I'll make a CD of it. But by virtue of the fact that Jesus evoked the name of God, go back to Exodus, right? When Moses said, hey, God, who should I tell them sit there when I go to deliver your people? And of course, I'm paraphrasing that. God said, tell them I am sent you. So when Jesus claims this name of God, he is showing himself to be God the Son there, divine in their presence. But he uses this metaphor. And the last time we were together, he said, I am the gate for the sheep. But he continues this metaphor saying, I am the good shepherd. But why? Why does Jesus say, I am the good shepherd? I want to give you two short answers that really are secondary to the main reason Jesus called himself this. But they're important nonetheless. First off, realize that Jesus, when he calls himself the good shepherd, he isn't saying he's a shepherd. He isn't saying he's some shepherd. He is the good shepherd. This is about exclusivity. How Jesus and Jesus alone is the good shepherd. Namely, if he's the good shepherd, then all these others who claim to have life and light, well then, it means that they are frauds. And that's important for you and me today. Why? I alluded to this in my prayer before this sermon. Doesn't the world offer life, light? Doesn't it offer all sorts of fulfillment and make all of these promises? Again, it's usually in order to, to sell you something. Because right, that's how our world works. But doesn't the world offer all of this fulfillment and meaning and purpose? But doesn't it fall flat? Always. That's why there's always something new that the world has to offer. But Jesus starts out by saying that he is the good shepherd. This is an exclusive claim. But secondly, I believe Jesus uses this imagery of the shepherd and his sheep because of what we find throughout the Old Testament. Right? Jesus is linking himself to God's word here. Often this metaphor is used to describe God's relationship to his people. You can find it all over the Old Testament. It's in the prophets. It's certainly in the Psalms. And primarily, yes, it is the 23rd Psalm that comes to mind. That's why I read it for the call to worship this morning. Probably you memorized this, or many of you would have memorized this at some point. We won't recite it together, but you're familiar with it. They would have been familiar with it. That's another reason why Jesus uses his metaphor here. Uses this metaphor of the good shepherd. But there's a third reason that Jesus uses this imagery. A third reason that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And it's a very practical one. Y'all, Jesus used this metaphorical language of being the good shepherd because people understood that central truth that I started with before I read our text a few minutes ago. You remember what I said a few minutes ago about our observation of, of living in front of those sheep for all these years? It's this. You see, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. He used this metaphor because the people listening to him would have understood that sheep need a shepherd. Remember how a couple of weeks ago when we started talking about sheep in ancient Israel, y'all, the sheep was the most common form of livestock in Israel. People understood a lot about sheep. They understood that sheep need care, that, that sheep need protection, that sheep rely on the shepherd. And so as Jesus called himself the good shepherd, his doing so is just as much about the fact that his people are like sheep needing care as it is that he's the good shepherd. It works both ways. So to that end, consider what Jesus says about the sheep and about his function as the good shepherd. 
while care is implied, right? The 23rd Psalm, all of those components of care is implied. Provision, providing for the sheep is understood. According to our passage, the main component that we should see about Jesus being the good shepherd is that the good shepherd protects the sheep. That's what Jesus' main focus is in this passage. How do we know? Well, he says it four different times, right? When, when Jesus repeats something again and again and again, it must be important. And four times in verses 11, 15, 17, 18, we read them all. What does Jesus say? He calls himself the good shepherd that, quote, lays down his life for the sheep. And that implies two major things, right? Number one, the good shepherd loves and values the sheep. So much so that he is willing to sacrifice himself for them, laying down his own life. But also, we dare not miss number two. If Jesus talks about four different times the necessity of protecting the sheep by laying down his life, that must mean very clearly that the sheep are in danger. Now, we're going to come back to this second thing. The sheep must be in danger, right? But I just can't glaze over that first one, right? The idea that the good shepherd loves and values the sheep. Wednesday night, Reverend Shelnut preached from Ephesians chapter 3, which contains one of the most important verses in the Bible, but especially for pastors, right? It's Ephesians 3, 8. And in it, Paul reflects on the, on the fact that then he's speaking of himself. He says, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles, and this is it, the incalculable riches of Christ. Other translations submit other words that the King James uses, unfathomable. You know, when something is, a fathom is a unit of measurement for depth. If something is unfathomable, you can't tell how deep it is. If something is unsearchable, a lot of translations use unsearchable. That means that it can't be understood. I like the CSB here. Incalculable. We don't know the math well enough to be able to add it all up to see just how rich, just how wonderful, how glorious Jesus Christ is. And there's lots of places in God's word that tell us how glorious Christ is. But it's this passage that we're in today, John chapter 10, that shows us, that points to Jesus' glory and what he's done. Y'all, think about it. Jesus, okay, Jesus, God the Son, in perfect communion with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit for all eternity. He took on flesh and he made his dwelling among us. I love to talk about this at Christmas time. God the Son felt cold. For the first time. Physical pain. For the first time. Right? And it's not just that he was in perfect communion with God the Father and, and, and God the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus is the agent of creation. John 1, 1 3. All things were made. And without him not anything was made that was made. In other words, everything was made through him. Everything. And he came to this creation. You know, when Genesis talks about forming the man into dust, John 1, 3 tells us that everything was made through him. It was God the Son's hands that formed man out of dust. It, it, when we think about the glory of nature around us, and even though it's fallen, it's still glorious. He created all things. That means the trees of the wilderness. And yet he was nailed to one? Why? Jesus, the one to whom, through whom, and for whom all things are, are, are made. And, and he did this. He, he died for you and me. He took our transgressions on himself because he's the good shepherd. He died for me. For me, who far too often has his own set of priorities. For me, who far too often focuses on selfish desires instead of what God wants. For me, an imperfect man, and who am I kidding? I'm a sinner, I'm selfish, I'm an inconsiderate man. And Jesus laid down his life for me? And he laid down his life for you. And he knows 
you. He knows me. He knows those things that we think about at night. Those things that have run through our mind that we shudder to think if anybody else knew that I thought this or had done this. He knows you better than you know you. And he died for you. Why? Because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, that's why. Not because he was compelled to. Not because the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans were one step ahead of him and they caught him. Not because Judas betrayed him. No. Look at verse 17 and 18 again. Jesus said, this is why the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. Jesus was a man on a mission. God in the flesh come to save his people. Human reason and logic would lead you to think, what do you mean? I mean, he was at the mercy of all those around him. That, 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 that horrible and wonderful scene where Jesus is standing there before Pilate. And Pilate asked him, don't you know that I have the power of life and death over you? Remember how Jesus replied, you would have no power except that which was given to you. This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus did. Why? Because again, he's the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. He took the wages of sin that he didn't earn. He died on the cross paying for the sins of all those who would trust in him because he loves you just that much. And it is out of his love, you see, love is what makes Jesus the good shepherd. His love. Only love can lead you to do what he did. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love had no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And he said, I have called you friends. That's what God does for us in him. His love is what led Jesus to do what he did. His love and the fact that he did absolutely what had to be done. There was no other way. And this brings us back to the second implication of Jesus being the good shepherd. If he says four different times that he lays down his life for the sheep, well, then that must mean that the sheep must be in danger. But what danger? Well, some of it is mentioned. There in verses 12 and 13, Jesus talks about the CSB. I, I like incalculable for Ephesians 3. The Christian Standard Bible is the translation I use. It's easy to understand. But I love the King James terminology in John 10. The CSB says the hired hand. But the King James Version uses the term hireling. The hireling. Right? That's the terminology used here. The hireling. When he sees the wolf, he doesn't lay down his life for the sheep. He doesn't protect them. He runs away. Why? Because he's just a hireling. He's just a hired hand. The sheep aren't his. He doesn't love them. He hightails it in fear of danger because the wolf is dangerous. And let me tell you, the wolf is. Satan desires to ravage you. You remember Peter. After Peter, at the last supper, said, Oh, no, Lord, I'll never betray you. You remember what Jesus said to him? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. That's what Satan wants to do to you. That's what Satan wants to do to old Providence. And not only that, Satan is called this roaming, roaring lion, going back and forth, looking to devour the sheep. The hireling, he takes off. Let me tell you something. When you're asking what danger must there be for the sheep, a lot of the danger we face is from the wolf, but a whole lot is faced from the hireling. The one who is trusted to protect the flock, but he won't. The wolf and all the predators will carry a sheep away, get it separated from the rest of the flock, and then they'll mangle it, they'll devour it. You know, that's why the church is so important. And staying with the shepherd, the good shepherd, is so important. Uh, it's a bit comical because it's a meme, but it's true, right? If I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church with a photo, this would be it. I don't know if you can see it, especially online. It's one little zebra separated from the rest of the herd. And there's a lion chasing it. And that lion's going to have that zebra. 
This is what Satan and all of his evil forces want to do with you. And all oh, that just having a field day because not only have Christians convinced themselves that church is really not that important. You got a bunch of hirelings out there that are supposed to keep him watch over the flock, but they're not. You have shepherds out there who are hirelings because as the under shepherds of the good shepherd, Jesus, these under shepherds show themselves to be hirelings because instead of telling the truth, instead of warning the sheep, they lie to them. That's why it's important, and if you're online, but if y'all are here too, I, I, I know a lot of y'all come to Old Province, I don't know where everybody goes, but you better find yourself a Bible-believing church, because if you're not in one, you have a hireling, you don't have a pastor, and you don't have a church, you've got a synagogue of Satan. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Part of being the good shepherd means Jesus protects us from the predators. And a large part of that is that Jesus protects us from ourselves when we don't have the good sense to see predators for what they are. When we look at the things that the world offers and says, oh yes, I'd much rather. When we look at the things that the Bible teaches and says, I'll take this, this, and this, but why don't you hang on to that? I'll do things my own way. Jesus even protects us from ourselves. Like those sheep behind the manse that we watch every day, many times they see no danger whatsoever and the fence protects them. But do you realize that's why the Lord has given us the church? As it relates to Christ, the good shepherd, he was willing to do whatever it took to save you, even, even sacrifice himself. And so he did that willingly with boldness. He did so because of the ultimate danger that we face. It isn't just from predators. It's not just that. The greatest danger we face is eternal death. Do you realize that this is the reality you face apart from Christ? With Christ, you have all of those promises of his word. You have life eternal. Without him, you have death eternal in hell. With him, you have mercy and grace and love. Without him, you are at the mercy of the predators alone, waiting to be dragged off. But with him, you have salvation. And you have the right to be a part of his flock and this is the last implication. This flock that as we read, and Jesus uses some interesting language here that they didn't understand. But as we read at the end of our passage in 19 through 21, it says the people were divided. Some said that Jesus was demon possessed. Others said that the demons don't possess people that heal the blind, right? And they were so confused because didn't, Jesus didn't just say controversial things, claiming to be the I am. Jesus talked about these sheep from another fold. And it's right there in verse 16. Jesus said, but I have other sheep that are not from the sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. Y'all, do you know what this means? Not only do you have life in Christ as one of the sheep, not only will you never again be alone because you're part of his flock, this means that as one of the Lord's sheep, and with Jesus as the good shepherd, this means that the flock is growing and you get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of his grand redemptive plan that he is working and that he is building and all for his glory and for your good. That's what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd, that this life is not about us just being some solitary sheep out there on the range in the wilds, that instead he's brought us together. And in bringing us together, he gives us the opportunity to not only have protection, but for the flock to grow and grow and build. Now, in light of all these things, Jesus sacrifices, calling us to be sheep. What are we supposed to do? What do we do in light of this? Very quickly, and then we're done. What are we to do? Number one, remember what Christ has done for you. That's that whole bit about the incalculable riches of Christ. He forgave you of sin that you could never, ever pay for. He's blessed you in ways, that, and me in ways, we don't even have the good sense to see him. And he does so again and again. All those promises of the 23rd Psalm are fulfilled in Christ. So remember what Christ has done for you. And to that end, number two, don't wander off. 
Don't wander off. Don't be a danger to yourself. Don't fall for the ruse of the world around you that would offer you alternative after alternative. One of the biggest mistakes that the church started that the church has made in the last hundred years or so is that the church has tried to compete with the entertainment factor of the world around us. We'll never out entertain the world. They're really good at it. Instead, we have to get back to understanding what church is really all about, and it is that God calls his people together to worship him. Don't run off. To that end, number three, be vigilant. Keep an eye out for the wolf, an eye out for the lion that has come to steal you away. Let me tell you something. I don't know what's going to happen to me this week. I might not even be here next Sunday. I don't know what the Lord's going to do. We could all get hit by an asteroid right now or, or a satellite ball. I don't know. I don't know. But if you make it out of that asteroid strike, if you ever remember me saying one thing, remember it's this, God will never ever condone what his word forbids. You hear me? God will never condone what his word forbids. It doesn't matter how many people in the world say it's right. It doesn't matter how many people in the world celebrate it or say it's good. If God's word forbids it, stay away. It will ravage you. <laughs> Number four is trust the good shepherd. Some sheep have teeth. Don't fight against the good shepherd. You want to know what the shepherd wants to do? Read his word. Trust in him. Rely on him and him alone. And there's a fifth thing, and I, and I wondered if I should even put this, but I have a problem knowing when I should be bold and when I shouldn't be, so I just say it. Don't fight against the under shepherds. You know, that's what God has called the elders in this church to be for you. That's what God has called me to be for you. Don't fight against the under shepherds. Don't turn us into hirelings. Where you reduce our function to whatever it may be. Realize that this calling that God has for us. As a pastor, this calling that God has for me, it's not the same as a first century Palestinian shepherd in Israel. You won't see physical scars on me. But just like the shepherds of old had to beat away the predators, and it takes a toll, I can tell you, and the elders will tell you too, if you ask them, they won't volunteer but it takes a toll. It's hard being an under shepherd. Satan constantly attacks the church, stirring up discord, stirring up strife, trying to take our attention away from what matters, trying to make us miss the opportunities that God has for us. It's hard enough when the sheep aren't kicking at you at the same time. Instead, lastly, pray. You heard me say it to the children. It's the last piece in the armor of God. Pray, 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 pray that God would deliver us. Pray that God would unite us. Pray that God would empower us to do what he wants us to do for his sake and for our good. Jesus is the good shepherd and he holds us. He watches over us. But he calls us to be a sheep. Don't ever forget that. If you know him, wonderful. Trust in him. If you don't know him, and you know you don't know him, turn to him today. He is the good shepherd. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we praise you for the truth of your word, for the power, power of your son and our savior Jesus Christ that is on display in so many ways but ultimately in the fact that he laid down his life be with us that we would be faithful sheep for those of us here who are under shepherds may we not be hirelings but instead let us run toward the danger knowing that the good shepherd is the one that oversees us we thank you, Father, for the promises of your word, that they are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, not what the world offers. For those of us who know you, 
We've heard this again and again, but for those who do not, help them to see that they are at the mercy of the wolves, and that instead they must enter through you, the good shepherd, the gate for the sheep. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's now close by singing the 23rd Psalm, which is number 46 in the Green Bible Songbook. Number 46, the Lord's my shepherd. Please stand as we sing. and the mercy and the love and the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen.